Hi, I'm Sabrina Chitima, and I'm from Lotus of Siam. Hello, my name is Andy Murphy. I'm the producer, creator, and uh, host of the Toasted Sister podcast. Hey, I'm Elizabeth Faulkner, and you're listening to Two Sharp Chefs. What's up, chefs, hospitality family, foodies? You're listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. Thanks for joining us. We started this podcast in June 2019 to honor Anthony Bourdain, a fellow chef who gave us all a better understanding of different cultures and people through his daring food adventures. We're here to expand the dialogue. We're two chefs cooking up raw, honest conversations about chef life, food, and the hospitality industry. So come on in. You can sit with us. Hello, Louie. Yeah, what's up, Lou? Um, so yeah, we're pretty stoked because we have one of our favorites back on the show. Um, we had chef Mary Sue Milligan, like seriously, probably one of the first like five or six episodes that we taped, um, Uh back in the day. Now that we could say that, right? I <laughs> like know. 60 or so episodes ago. Um, and we have her back talking about um, a new nonprofit that she is, you know, that she started with eight other women in Los Angeles. It's called Regarding Her. Um, of course, Mary Sue is part of the amazing Two Hot Tamales duo of Susan Fenegar and Mary Sue Milligan. And they've owned Border Girl for a long time in Las Vegas and in Los Angeles. And in honor of that and the famous Yay. Border Grill brunch, which by mm-hmm. the way, was a bitch to cook. Of course, because brunch sucks. I mean, it's amazing for eating, but for as a cook or as a chef for brunch, you know, you really like earn your stripes when you cook a brunch, yeah. right, Louie? Well, like, I think it has all you more. Can eat brunch. I think it has more to do with like actually turning over from dinner service like a Friday or Saturday night to like early service like brunch on a Sunday. See, my issue was just eggs. Eggs. You, if you can cook eggs at that kind of volume, especially in Las Vegas, all you can eat brunch and eggs are in everything. They're in everything in brunch. Mm -hmm. And when you're the chef that has to do that and run the line, holy crap, I like wanted to die the first couple of weeks. It took me a good month to get like used to poaching and like frying and over medium. And over easy in pandemic provisions today, we are talking about our brunch bays. And when we say bays, we mean like our food bay. Um, And for me, I'm going to go ahead and start because I talked about poached eggs. Um, I love an eggs benny. Love the eggs benedict. I will have it at almost every single restaurant that I have breakfast in because I like to try eggs benedict at each new place Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they always have their own spin on it, you know, like a salmon benedict or a seafood benedict. Um, But my favorite, this is a classic, eggs benedict. Um, It's interesting. I read about the history, of course, like all food histories it seems like there's always like three four five ten stories um but the most common one and the one that goes back the farthest is that it started at delmonico's in new york city which is the first american restaurant um in the 1860s and it was by a chef named charles ranhofer mine is the chilaquiles yeah i like it because it's a little bit of everything um it's basically um corn tortillas Mm -hmm. 
it's kind of like a nacho with like all sorts of like shredded chicken and salsas, scrambled eggs, a little bit of like queso fresco and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very, very one dish comfort food that's yes. zesty, a little bit crunchy, a little bit cheesy. And there's like a little bit of eggs. So the history of that is like, it's it's actually, it dates all the way back to the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. But it was brought here through like a Spanish cookbook in 1898. And it's, it's the recipe to it changes. Just like you said, there's a spin to every Benny. There's also a spin to every Chilaquile. So... It's family to family. So it's it yeah. really depends. There's like a green salsa one, a yes. red salsa one. There's chicken. There's shredded beef. Uh, might be a pulled pork one for all, there you is. know. Yeah. You know, you all sweet tooths out there. Sweet and uh, when you want to take it to another level, because I've worked in Mexican restaurants a lot, yeah. um, you put the red and the green sauce in there. We are going to go to Mary Sue and we're so excited. Yay. Yay. Check it out. Louie. <laughs> We have one of our first guests ever on the Two Sharp Chefs podcast again. Finally, yes. it's been like almost two years. Um, believe it or not, it's so crazy. Chef Mary Sue Milligan is with us. One of my favorites. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you guys are still at it two years later. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, growing your, your own influence every day. We are trying our best. We're way behind you, but we are trying our best. We're we're chugging along and uh, always thinking about you guys because we were always inspired by Two Hot Tamales and you know a little homage to Sharp Chefs. We were always thinking about you guys. <laughs> um, so we know that you're a superwoman and you do a bunch of stuff, but you actually started. You helped start a nonprofit during a pandemic. (laughs) So we got to talk about regarding her. Um, It's very interesting to us. We're hoping for something similar to that here. Um, We have the women's hospitality initiative, but I think this is like a bit more specific um, that at least that's my take on it. Um, Tell us a little bit about it um, and why you did it now. Well, so I'm, I serve on the board of trustees of the James Beard foundation and we have been really active in trying to support women in the culinary industry for the last five years. So um, many different programs, we do a mentorship, we do uh, scholarships, we have um, programs for leadership where we put women through, you know, college courses. And we also have boot camps where they come and learn how to be activists like me. (laughs) And then, uh, During COVID, I think we started something called Let's Talk, which was started by a colleague of mine, Rohini Day in Chicago. And she, we literally just kind of ad hoc got together with 10 or 12 of our, uh, you know, restaurateurs, fellow female restaurateurs in Los Angeles, in a couple of other or many other cities around the country. But we basically just got together in order to try to, you know, unpack what was happening to us. Our restaurants were being pretty much decimated by um, the inability to serve anyone. And Mm -hmm. most of us were completely shut down from March until, I don't know, 
some some people stayed open, but many of us didn't. So it was really just a matter of um, let's share stories. Let's figure out what are you doing for to go containers and have you seen any good grants lately? And it really just started very informally like that. Um, And and it's interesting because women have a way of um, being so uh, collaborative and interested in the collective success of of our, you know, our groups. I think um, it's just a natural kind of trait of women. And so it was so great to see so many different um, cities kind of gel. There's a whole Louisville, Kentucky and Lexington where they're they're doing a really cool thing with all the women that started their Let's Talk. And then there's a really great one in uh, Washington, D.C. and in, in Atlanta. And what happened in L.A. was there were about nine of us who kept showing up to the Let's Talk every month. And we decided let's do something more, you know, let's, um, let's figure out a way to support hundreds of female owned restaurants in LA, because I I feel really fortunate to live in a, a place where, you know, there are so many restaurants and small restaurants that are owned by women and ethnic places that are so delicious. You know, the whole San Gabriel Valley is full of so many delicious, amazing, you know, dumpling places. And then, you know, there's also little Artesia that has all kinds of Indian places and the whole, uh, the other valley, the, you know, and Orange County, the South Bay. So anyway, we basically, um, the nine of us together decided to start a, a nonprofit called Regarding Her and kick it off with a 10 day food festival where we drive as much traffic as possible to women owned restaurants in LA. And you know what's amazing? We didn't realize how successful we would be. The, the, the community seems to be just hungry to support women-owned businesses. And there's a, there's sort of an understanding that these little mom and pop or mom and mom restaurants uh, are, are what knit together our communities and keep us, you know, kind of connected to each other. And if we lose them, what do we have? You know, it's totally different scene. We have chains, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned to us that you're spending time lobbying Congress uh, now, and, and you've done it before in the past uh, many times. Um, is this something that you enjoy doing? And as chefs, I think it's interesting. What do you think about the unique skill set that we have that can make us really successful at this? At James Beard, you know, one of the inside sayings they have is chefs get shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, so maybe that's part of it, I'm sure. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I I think that um, chefs have a way of of distilling down the ideas to really basic levels that are really digestible and understandable by everybody. You know, a lot of people talk with these giant words and they they make things sound more complicated than I think um, they need to be. And so I think like the general public listens to a chef talking about an issue that they're really passionate about. And it, it kind of resonates with them because they, they feel like they, they get it. They understand. And like you said, chefs want to get shit done. So Mm -hmm. we really attack a problem 
with the idea that we can find a solution. <laughs> Today I was lobbying for um, the with Oxfam for money in the new American Rescue Bill that's coming out right now and making sure that um, we have enough money to uh, to fund the childcare industry, which like the restaurant industry has been decimated. And, you know, I have so many single moms and people who work for me who are uh, in need of that childcare support. So I really, um, it's been great. I, I, I enjoy talking to Congress people and, you know, I love that they, they're like foodies. They're like, oh my God, you're famous. And I'm like, me, I'm not, you know, you're famous. (laughs) I think like one of the interesting things too about women um, at the head of restaurants and in hospitality, um, one of the things that we bring is something that you were just talking about, which is, you know, thinking about childcare and things that maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, might make it difficult for some of us to keep moving up. I think that's definitely an issue. It's like, well, I have kids now and I can't work 60 hours or I don't have anybody to watch the kids or that kind of thing. I think that makes us uniquely able to, I don't know, just be able to promote other women better because we understand what they're going through. Totally. And I think it's, um, you know, it's high time that the hospitality industry became a real profession and provided for, you know, health benefits and paid time off and, mm-hmm. you know, a living wage and some, you know, support for moms to be able yeah. to do their job as well as a job in the hospitality industry. So I think this pandemic has kind of exposed some of the, some mm. of the things that weren't working so well in the restaurant business. And it's a kind of exciting time to reinvent our our business. I mean, in the end, it means that consumers need to pay more for their food. Yeah. Because on the backs of, you know, underpaid, underbenefited workers from farm all the way to the fork, mm-hmm. we've been enjoying or people have been enjoying artificially low priced food. And if we want to really change that, we got to really inspire people to understand that you get what you pay for. Yeah. And, and you need to value, you know, the food system. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned James Beard Foundation. And then I also know that you're on the board of Share Our Strength. Um, what does it mean to you to be a chef activist? Because I noticed that you put that first in your social media activist. Well, I feel really fortunate, you know, that I've had a really magical, successful career. And with that comes a responsibility, I think. You know, if I have a platform, I feel compelled to use it and to use it for good. Um, So I, I think being engaged and active in my community is sort of a responsibility that we each of us has. And um, I love share our strength because not everybody has the same kind of strength to share. But if uh, when they first approached me way back in the 80s, I, I was like, you know, I don't have any money to give. And they said, yeah, but you you can give your food. You can give your, you know, your platform and and you know it's grown over these 20 years I've been on the board but um that was just a great feeling for me that I had something of value to share 
And, you know, I could go to a tasting event with six or eight or 12 or 20 other chefs. People would pay big dollars to come and eat there. We would raise, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and it would feed hungry children. I mean, for me, that's that was a very empowering feeling way back then. Uh, so we got to talk about your stamina because Mm -hmm. (laughs) Louie and I are always looking for it. I mean, it is so hard to keep up with like chef life. And then now we're doing these side gigs all the time. And like, we're, we're also Louie and I are trying to follow in your footsteps. Like I'm on three square. She's helping with delivering with dignity, a bunch of other things. Like we're just all in places. We can't even find time to like talk to each other. A lot of time <laughs> we're like texting yeah. mean to each other. Leave me alone. I'm busy. Um, which I'm sure you do with Susan. Lorraine's sort of like a virtual friend to me now. Yeah. Virtu- <laughs> like, virtually. I don't, I yeah. don't see her or touch her anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we would love to know, like, where do you get your stamina? Um, do you have time to unwind and practice self-care? And if so, how, what do you do? That kind of thing. Yes, I do. You know, um, when I was younger, I was not good at it. It was definitely something that eluded me for a long time. And what I didn't realize was that I can be so, I have so much more to give when I have taken some time for myself. So yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just incredible. You don't, you get, um, you, the, you know, when you get too wound up in your work, you, you end up um, making mistakes and doing things more slowly and also just not having clarity or vision that you need. So um, I've been, I think having children helped me a lot with that. It helped me find balance because, you know, up until then, I mean, I don't want my husband to hear me say this, but, you know, the most important thing I had was my career. <laughs> and, then, and then having children, you know, kind of all of a sudden I had another thing that was as important. So um, as far as self-care goes, you know, it can be as small as just taking a, a you know, a one mile walk around the neighborhood because mm-hmm. I just need to clear my head or it can be, you know, um, do, I like exercise. I love right. it. So, so do you have, do you have a solid morning routine or, or are you more of like a self-care at the end of the day kind of person? Morning for sure. Morning. So yep. what does that, what does that look like? Is it, is it well, like meditation? Uh, three days a week right now actually changes all the time, but right now I'm doing yoga three days a week with my sisters and my cousin. <laughs> And that's really been awesome. It's I've been a yoga hater all my life. This is a really, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is the first time I've enjoyed it. And it's um, it's because my cousin is teaching it. And I, you know, I've known her since I was born. Mm-hmm. So um, that and then I also lift weights and I do I go to Al-Anon meetings twice a week, which is really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a family of alcoholics and um, it really, you know, is a, it's, it, it creates a lot of problems, you know, that, that helps me immensely. And then I I love, I love that you mentioned that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I love that you mentioned that because we never get that. Um, ever when we ask about it, people say like facials and exercise and things. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like the mental health aspect clear your head, because that's a major issue, especially I think with chefs and people in the hospitality industry, because our, mm-hmm. our minds are like here and there and dealing with all kinds of bullshit and da, 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 da. And it's like, hello, like in here also needs some self-care. 
So true. In fact, it's way more important than facials and <laughs> yeah, right. which are nice, you know, and jumping in ice and all that stuff. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really crave community. So I do things, um, you know, like go cycling with my friends and a lot of other chefs that cycle yeah. here. So I, I, and I go hiking a lot. I love hiking. Mm-hmm. It's been so great during COVID because, but unfortunately it's more crowded, but it's also just, you know, um, I've had more time to, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's what COVID has been an interesting thing because I've had time to, um, you know, create this nonprofit and, and do all kinds of other little projects that I didn't have before. I've had more time at home than I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, being, being 63, I just turned 63. I, um, (laughs) worried about going to work until I get fully vaccinated. So I've really let the team kind of handle things and I do Zooms with them and I, you know, I go in and taste things, but I, I basically have completely changed to being a little more hands off. And um, it's something I've wanted to do for 10 years and haven't been able to. So now I, I got a little kick in the pants, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like let it go. It's mm-hmm. okay. That's true. <laughs> um, you and Susan were recently on The Chef Show with John Favreau and Roy Choi. And one of the things that stood out to me was that you told them that you need to be cooking something every day, which to maybe people who aren't chefs, especially ones that own restaurants or executive chefs or even like sous chefs a lot of the time, like they think that like we're definitely doing that all the time in the restaurant when we would love to, but a lot of the time we're doing a lot of paperwork and ordering and meetings and, and crap like that, which all needs to be done because it's important in restaurants. But how do you keep your hands in? Cause you would also mention, you know, even if it's just making breakfast or, or whatever, like mm-hmm. what does that look like for you to have to try to get your hands in food? Yeah, I, well, I have to eat every day. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, you know, from breakfast to lunch and lunch to dinner, I just start thinking about my next meal pretty much as soon as I finish one. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I love cooking and I love yeah. eating. So I'm, it's, it's a lot, you know, of, of just, you know, satisfying my own cravings and I'm like, you know, tremendously curious. So yeah. I'm looking at, I like to go to the farmer's market. As soon as I see something I've never seen before, that's what I'm going to buy. Ah, <laughs> I love that. And then I'm going to go home and like research <laughs> out how to cook it. Yeah. Um, was there something that you found? Cause like Louie and I have, and a bunch of other like chefs and cooks have found like something that we found in the pandemic or, or just something we discovered about cooking that was kind of interesting. Um, let's see. I, well, <laughs> I, in the beginning, I didn't want to go to big grocery stores. So I went to a lot of tiny little ethnic markets. I went to this one Middle Eastern place that has the most delicious bread and it's like six feet long and it's covered in all kinds of seeds. And Hmm. so I, I roll it up sort of like a dish towel and I keep it in the freezer. And then in the morning I take it out and I crack off a piece and toast it and have that. Um, I've been having it with, um, Iron, which is like a salted yogurt drink. Uh-huh. Okay. It's like a salty cereal. So I chop the toast up this, with all the seeds and I put za'atar in it and olive oil. And then I put the, the salty yogurt on top. So it looks like, could be like honey nut crunch, but it's like super savory. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I actually so want awesome. 
I love like turning things that are supposed to be sweet into something savory. Actually, randomly, once Mary Sue and I went to Grand Central Station in New York when we met and we had like savory porridge. Do you remember that? That's like, great. so that was the first time that I'd had that, you know, I'm so used to like growing up with like berries and maple and cinnamon. And it was like, uh, it was Nordic, right? Like some sort of Nordic place. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, you know, eggs with salt and like meat and like salty vegetables and pickled yeah. things. Right. That was great. I love when I they just, turn stuff like that. I was in Jordan and at a Syrian refugee camp right before I the lockdown, like on February, I got home February 8th and literally a month and a week later, everything closed. I had brought back with me all of this Zatar from like a Palestinian one and a Syrian one and a Jordanian one. And so, you know, I was really into trying to figure out how to, how to use it and how to yeah. eat it. And mm-hmm. I loved it for breakfast, like a yeah. smear toast with, um, like, uh, labna, you know, yes, yes, yes. And olive oil. So that's where I just had returned from Jordan. And and then all of a sudden I had time and I was home and I was hungry. (laughs) Yeah. I love inspiration like that. Um, We've got to ask you before we let you go, you've co-authored five cookbooks and I know you're like Louie and me, we're bibliophiles. We like freaking love books and we worship cookbooks. So I know you have quite a collection and you're like always talking about them in your, your social media and stuff. So I'm gonna put you a little bit on the hot seat and just ask you like, is there anything recent that you've liked and, or is there like one of all time that you cherish, you know? Well, I, I have to say, Ooh, show and tell. I, I, yeah. I cook in color. Ooh, okay. This is Asha Gomez. She happened to be with me on that trip. Um, And we were in, uh, I was also in India and she's from Kerala. And it came out, I think during COVID and I I got a copy and it's been really fun to cook from. She's a really inspirational, beautiful woman, uh, chef in Atlanta. And I've just been enjoying cooking her food. I mean, there's so many. I have I, right up above my desk here. I have all my cookbooks. You can see uh-huh. them there. But basically, I um, I I love a cookbook. And it's interesting because the internet is so you know chock full of yes. things. Yeah. But there's nothing quite like that cookbook where you really feel like you're kind of channeling someone else and their whole philosophy of food. And when you read a cookbook from start to finish, you really sort of absorb their, the way they approach food. Yeah. I recently did that with a Jubilee. It's that really got me. Like I was just, I was crying was like, my husband's like, really, you're reading a cookbook and crying. Like it was just so emotional, like happy and sad, you know, just seeing like the whole history of like African-American culture and black culture, like through the days and, and how it's changed. And just like, why is it taking so long to know about this? Like, that's what bothered me. But then it made me happy that I was learning. It was just, right. it was emotional. You can get emotional with cookbooks. It's crazy. We're weird. Um, no, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's better um, than like reading a food blog that's trying to sell you some stuff. Yes. When it's written from like a specific yes. author's perspective and it's about something, it's more of like a storybook. And yes. this is what people don't understand about cookbooks. There's yeah. something there. Take time to read the physical book because the yes. Kindle is not the same feeling. It's no. great. It's accessible. It's deliverable right to your mobile device and you can have it in two seconds, but it's not the same feeling. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
So true. And mm-hmm. also, I don't even, I, I, I got to the point where I have so many books that I will read them and then I'll hang on to them for a year or two or three and then I'll pass them on. You know, uh-huh. and we have a lending library that I'm setting up at Sokolo where we just fill it full of cookbooks that, you know, I've already absorbed. So yeah. now, you know, because I can't possibly keep them all. Exactly. Hundreds yes, right? and hundreds and hundreds of them. That's smart. Me I need too. to do that more often. Right. We, that should, more often. we should set up a lending library. In exchange. Yeah. Right? I actually think I got one from Chef Jaime that they got from you, that he got from you. So okay. Chef Jaime works at Border Girl, Louie. And like uh-huh. he gave me Oaxaca, like Ooh, one that you got okay. in Mexico that was passed mm-hmm. down to him from you guys. Yeah. And he was like, you have to see this. And I just love that. It's like a grandchild cookbook kind of right. kind of cool. Like, I love that. Um, so we're going to move on. And I'm not sure if someone told you or if you saw it, but Mary Sue, do you have something for show and tell? Whoa. And, um, it's a little bit of a sad story. Okay. But, um, when I first became inspired to become a chef, I was 16 and I met this very vivacious guy named Greg Duda. He was a chef, he'd been through chef school and he owned a bakery and he was a friend of my older sisters. And he um, he got, he, I, I became just obsessed with him because of the way he like handled food so fast and he, he put food on the table so quickly and he was so passionate. And so I asked him to get me into chef school, which he helped me. And then I went to work for him in a bakery. And then I got involved with his partner, was my boyfriend. And we hung out together for literally a long time, 10 years. Then I went on to do other things. And eventually he moved to California and worked with me again. And then um, when he was 50, he called me and said, I I had my first heart attack. And I survived and I'm really excited because he had a long line of heart attacks and his father and his grandfather and his brothers. And so we had a long talk on the phone. He hated talking on the phone. And, but we talked for like an hour and a half. And then the next morning he was gone. Oh my. <laughs> and this was what he, what I got. He, I went to his house and helped his boyfriend and everything. But this scale was, um, his and so it's really it's very special to me because it's why I started cooking because I met him and and he was a baker and I love baking and it's a beautiful scale and it still works uh-huh. like crazy it works so well you know with wow. the, this whole stack of like um cool weights are they yeah. magnetic no they no, just no, no. Nest they're just weights in, yeah they just nest in each oh. other okay that is so cool I don't think they would make those anymore cool. Yeah, that is way too cool. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, it's a last treasure. thing is, it is. We're going to move on to On the Fly. You have done this before, Mary Sue, but it was years ago. Okay. It's 60 right. seconds, rapid fire questions. Favorite Mexican food ingredient? Avocados. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? I guess I'd like to fly. <laughs> That's a good one. That's Your go to veggie. Uh, celery. Dream spot to travel and eat. Portugal. What do you want? What did you want to be in kindergarten? A, a space uh, astronaut. astronaut. <laughs> yeah. Favorite cooking music. Um, the milk carton kids. <laughs> First thing you'll do when it's safe to do everything you want again. Get on a plane. <laughs> and go somewhere, right? That's it. Yeah. 
Lou. Before we go on, best thing, best thing about chef life. You get to eat for, for work. Worst thing about chef life. You get to eat for work. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Last question, Lou. Favorite thing about living in Southern California? The weather. Right? I love yeah, it. That is true. It is, you can't win. You can't beat it, you know? And I can be in the mountains in one second, or I can be in the water. It's mm -hmm. just, you can be in the desert. You can like anything. It's amazing. Right. Um, last thing, let's sell it for whatever you want. It could be regarding her. It could be border grill. It's your time. Go ahead and take it. Well, um, I am on the, I head up the scholarship committee at James Beard Foundation. And I'm really passionate about bringing in lots of new, young, excited people into the hospitality industry. So anyone has any spare change, I think we, we could, or any ideas, you can call me and I'd love to brainstorm about how to get more kids excited about food. I know there's CCAP, there's um, you know, these scholarships that I think are so important, but I guess, um, I just want to, I, I want to, I, this is the best industry and it's been so good to me. I want to encourage others. I think waffles and mochi is going to be a big thing on Netflix with Michelle Obama, bringing that on and having mm -hmm. like a Sesame street with food. It's kind of like a Sesame street with food, right? I think that's going to get a bunch of kids like excited about the industry and about like just food. And I, I wish I had that growing up. Yeah, I it looks it so exciting. That, I forgot about that. That's going to be so cool. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. Uh, Mary Sue, thank you so much. I know you're crazy busy. Um, we miss you. We can't wait to come out to Sokolo right. <laughs> when we can and actually see you in person. So, okay. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. If you like what you've heard, please like, share, and subscribe. We stream new episodes every other Monday. We love hearing from everybody, so please get social with us on Instagram at Two Sharp Chefs, on Facebook at Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Plus, check out my cooking blog at FromChefWithLove.com and Louie's amazing photography at LouisVicta.com. It's been a pleasure. We're 86 till next time.